Hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast of the Francis Asbury Society. This is episode 44, and we apologize. I think we missed a week there. Uh, just a little crazy around here, but we're back and excited to have uh, Joy Griffin share. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different one today. Joy shares a testimony, a story of her time in Estonia, uh, which uh, she went to quickly after the Berlin Wall fell and shares uh, just really a miraculous story of God's hand at work, getting, uh, getting his, his word into the hands of the people there. So uh, this is a little bit longer than normal, but I think you'll really appreciate this powerful testimony. Okay, thank you, Josh, so much. Good morning and evening, everybody, again. Um, I actually was going to do something different or was on my heart, but then in the middle of the week that sort of changed because I got the word that a precious, precious saint of God went to heaven. He lives in the country of Estonia, um, but was the leader of all the Russian Christian work there in our sphere of influence. His name was Georg Lundberg, and he truly was a man of the era. Um, when when we went uh, there as missionaries, and some of you probably don't know that story, which is long, but we um, went just to stand alongside um, the pastors because the Iron Curtain had come down. And in the Methodist world or the Wesleyan world, I immediately called um, OMS, WGM, uh, people that are of our persuasion, you know, uh, and that I knew uh, about uh mission sending agencies and the there there was not work there purely because the it was a surprise when god moved the berlin wall praise him with his finger so anyway um and papa kenlaw dr kenlaw said you need to get there quick you can't um if you if you spend the time that it takes to raise support like a typical missionary this is a unique time in history he said those doors may be closing those countries may and you know he was exactly right Many did. But in the little country of Estonia, the reason we went there is that for us as Wesleyans, some of the big world church leaders knew that that was the only place they knew of where believers had survived. There were underground churches. There were, there were some believers there. So the hope was that that um, being there could be a beachhead to get back into all of Russia, then Latvia and Lithuania with church planting. So our, we had just gotten out of seminary. Our babies were, had just been born. And so we moved to the little country of Estonia just to be there as missionaries, to be encouragers. But the big desire of two people, two people especially, but Georg Lundberg was one of them because he headed up the Russian Christian work in that country for all the years of occupation. And um, um, Another man is Precious Olaf Perenimitz, who headed the, the Estonian language there. But, but get, so we moved there and their big desire, when we get there, we find out because now we know it was because we had come. They were so grateful somebody had come to help them. They're very intelligent people, but they were not allowed to study at all the way that you and I are and have been. So um, their big desire was what a seminary for the former Soviet Union. So that pastors, leaders, women's, men's leaders, youth leaders, business people could be trained because back in the 1940, the only seminary in the Baltic countries had been in Latvia and the communists had come through World War II time and bulldozed down churches and the seminary, just, just the buildings, so sad. 
So for 50 years, they had been that void. And um, it's a precious story, but Jesus really helped us. But Georg Lundberg, I wanted you to know about today because he's somebody that the world will never know because he could not speak English. But I, I, when I read um, the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, when it's talking about all the people of faith and the hall of faith, maybe we, we call that, you know, toward the end of the chapter, he talks about the world not being worthy of so many. And Georg Lundberg is someone that the world has never been or will be worthy of. He was a precious man that his favorite scripture, scriptures, I should say, he had three or four, and they were all about holiness. Um, uh, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man will ever see the Lord. Um, 1 Peter 1, 16, we, are, we have these memorized. Be ye holy for I am holy. The, that was like his mantra. And he was such a man of integrity and moral courage and um, godly character. And he was also somebody that I thought of, I want us as FAS to be. Um, and that is that he really was a disciple maker. <laughs> I can see him now because he was such a godly man and amazing anointed preacher. And um he also, though, he wanted to give the young guys and girls opportunity. I mean, younger than him, because I felt he was already old at the time because he was like my Russian daddy. And he was so grateful that we were there to try to be helpful. And he just adopted our little family. My kids, we just we just adored him. Um, but Georg, Georg would sit there literally in church. This is a Russian service. You had two different services on, on Sunday. And, and there was not a building because it had been bulldozed down. So we actually, the Methodist actually used the Seventh-day Adventist building. There was a building that had not been destroyed and they met on Saturdays. So the Methodists rented from them a place to, to meet. And um, so in the more, the, the sort of what we would call regular church time was always the Estonian speaking service. And then Russian speaking started at two in the afternoon and went on for several hours because it was glorious worship, hopping for Jesus and just amazing, amazing preaching. The, the personalities of the Estonians and Russians are very different. Estonians are very staid. And maybe that's because of occupation. But Russians are outgoing, huggy, lovey like us. Just it was a big, big surprise to us, you know, because as Americans, we've heard that they're the bad guys. And the communists were the bad guys, but not the Russians. But this is Georg. I just, I wish there was some way I could, could show you. He had, this was glasses. I don't have glasses, but I, so I got some sunglasses here, but you know, he wore glasses. So during the service, he would sit back, you know, in his chair and, you know, just relax. And he's listening. And with his, the end of the glass, the spectacle, the, what is that called? The thing that goes over your ear, he would point to one of the young preachers. Nobody ever knew when he was going to, they were going to be pointed at. And when they were pointed at, that meant they had to come up and preach. And um, <laughs> so they were all nervous as cats all the time because you never knew where that was going to point. And then he was so, so precious not to put them on the spot, but giving them the opportunity. And then at the end of the service, again, because you're going to have several preachers preaching at the end of the service, whenever that might be hours later, um, he would get up and basically clean up if any of the other guys had made a mess, you know, like theologically, he was really, really precious. But because he personally did not get to study, he wanted it to be possible for anybody else coming behind him to be able to study. 
and to not just learn God's word, but also uh, the great saints of the church and church history, and especially our Wesleyan heritage. So I thought, I think I can do this and just really quickly to tell you a story of, of his commitment to that. And I'm, I'm saying all this to tie it into who we are, I believe, as FAS, because our desire is um, uh, we, we understand the importance and significance of exceptional educational materials, and whether they be academic or testimonial or commentaries. And I'm so grateful for our staff there in the main office that, um, as well as beyond, because other people sometimes are working um, uh, remotely, um, to help make sure that we have materials to spread scriptural holiness across the land. That's our goal. And, and that was his goal also. So here's what was going to happen. Their desire was a seminary. Well, my husband and I had raised our support just for our food and rent, you know, as missionaries. I mean, that's what we had needed. So we, you know, had shares, people took shares in us and gave resources. And so we were able to be there, but there was not one penny for a school. And we, we, we didn't know what to do, but they're looking to us, even much older than us, because we were just the kids. But because we were Americans, they said, you're, you're from big thinking. You're from big asking questions. We were never allowed to ask questions under Soviet communism. So, for example, I asked a question at church one day across the big street. I asked the, an older lady, 80 something years old. Um, what's in that building over there? Because there were no signs, literally no signs anywhere in the country. I mean, a sign on a, a building or a wall. And it's because anything Russian had just been torn down after they were free. They didn't want communist occupation, but there was no money to put anything up. So I might walk in on somebody completely naked changing clothes. I mean, you didn't know what was behind the door. They're in their apartment changing. Or I might walk in and there's a place that's selling potatoes. You know, just never knew. So I'm trying to find stuff for my kids. And so I asked that. And the, the lady to my shock said, I don't know. She said, Joy, you've been here six weeks. You know more about this city than I do because we were never allowed to ask questions. You know, you ask questions. Um, so it was that kind of a context. It, it was just it, it, just so surprising. And we, we got to experience so many firsts. But here we are scrambling, trying to figure out how to start a seminary. Now, in the end, we're in one room, literally one little room with 52 students, half Russian, half Estonian. They can't talk to each other, don't understand the language. And nobody could have a desk. The room was very tiny. So everybody's just scrammed in like sardines and writing on their laps because if they could, if they were literate to read and write, to be able to take notes. But we had to use translation equipment to make that work. And somehow God did make it work. It was a miracle, but it's because we didn't have any other option. But our complication was all this is happening. The Lord began to provide underground. And that's not the story I was going to tell you, like translators people that came back that others thought were dead during occupation. So we, we had that, but our complication was we didn't have books, textbooks. And that's what we as FAS really want to provide to people, not a textbook necessarily, but, but literature. Um, that's where our publishing uh, finger or area or circle comes from. But um, so that there, there was a problem. We scoured the country and people, somebody finally found in the Estonian language, because we got to have both, the Estonian language, uh, one copy, literally one copy of Augustine's Confessions in the Estonian language in an old church in the southern part of the country. 
Other things have been destroyed because the communists did that. So, but the deal is we took some of our seminary notes from some people that aren't on here right now, like Al Coppage and John Oswald, and had those translated in the Estonian language as well as the Russian language. But we were stuck without Russian. And we found out that, that through the years of maybe the 80s and 90s, some organizations, there were five organizations. One was um, Billy Graham's organization. Another was uh, Campus Crusade. Um, some, some big organizations had just by faith put together what they were calling a pastor's, a Russian pastor's um, library. Five books were translated for any Protestant Russian people anywhere in the world, but especially in the former Soviet Union, hoping again that someday the wall would come down. The bottom line is we found out about that and they were just 50 cents. I mean, they were gonna be cheap to get the books. The problem was getting to the books and getting them back into those countries that had been occupied. And so Georg, Georg's heart was for that. So in August, we were about to start the seminary in August, Georg said he would be willing to go to Moscow by train. It's 18 hours, one way, just on an old rickety train to Moscow to try to get to the books. We finally made connections with a, a Russian man that could speak English that, um, that said, okay, I'll meet him at a certain place, blah, blah. The point is precious Georg went all the way to Moscow and about three days later, he came back and nothing in his hand. He couldn't find it. Now, after I was in Moscow, I completely understand. But here is this precious man. Later, I found out he really only had one contact. He One contact way before occupation, the not, end of the 1930s, that he had one name of somebody he knew lived in Moscow. And that's what he was trying to get to. But, but precious, precious man. Then we made connection with the people in Russia. And so the, the deal was I was going to go because not that I was great, but I could do language a little better than my husband. I'm having to do both Estonian and, and Russian. We'd only been there like three months, but, but uh, to go to the market, you know, I was really trying to learn. So um, the deal was that Georg was gonna be my daddy. He's gonna go and help me find where to, you know, read the signs to know how to read their language and get me to the place. And then I would do the deal to get books. Well, the complication, and we had the plane train ticket. It's gonna leave every night at 11 o'clock pulls out from Tallinn, Estonia. The morning that we were to pull out, guess what? Somebody in the church died. So precious Georg had to stay to do funeral. I mean, that's, he's, he's it. He's, he's the spiritual leader, but he says, oh, but Katja, his sweet, sweet wife, sweet Katja, she can just go with joy because she can read the signs. Here's the complication. Georg is actually born Estonian, an Estonian family. So he spoke Estonian, but then his wife Katja is Russian. And they married. And for years during occupation, they were interrogated. It's a miracle both of them are alive. They were called in. They were imprisoned, tortured. Just unbelievable. But they lived. But precious Katja cannot speak Estonian or Russian. She, I'm English. She only is Russian. But Georg did Estonian and Russian. He had to learn Russian like in school. So, but he can't do English, but I'm not great, but I'm pretty good. I'm better in Estonian. We're trying to learn the national language first. So the story was, you know, we were going to go. Now the problem is Katja, you know, it's going to be the language of love is the point because we can't really talk well, but sure enough, we take off to go try to get the books 18 hours. And then we finally get to Moscow. And so before, but before we left, my husband got this guy on the phone and said, 
because it's time for us to begin the school. I know I'm going quick. I'm trying to hurry because we need to pray. So so we're we're um, we've got to start the school and now we don't have books. So Wes, my husband, was going to take my classes and he would double up and teach. Then when I got back the next week, I would double up, you know, and, and we would work it that way. And um, but he got the guy in Russia and said, I want you to promise me two things. One, that you will send somebody that speaks English to the train station to meet my wife. Two, that you personally will make sure that she gets on that train the next day when it's going to come back. And so the guy laughed and he said, well, I'll promise you that. But he said, she'll never find us. That's why the man didn't find us. We're unmarked. It's totally illegal. So she's not going to get here. So he made some crack about me being a country girl or something. You just don't know my wife, you know, or something like that, you know. But um, but so, you know, it. The odds were against us, but we're on our way. So we get to the train station and I think somebody's going to be there. We get off and there's a million people. I mean, it just seemed that just they're just everywhere. And I'm following Katja like a little puppy dog. I mean, she's so precious. She's just like a mama. But, you know, we just are loving each other. And and she's talking to me like crazy, but I don't understand a lot of what she's saying. But I'm following her thinking we're going to go to somebody with the books. Wrong. We just I keep trying to say to her where, 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 because I can do a few words. She goes over and sits down and we're sitting there for I'm watching my watch four hours. We sit there. I think, you know what? Now I understand why he didn't get the books, because I I can't even talk to anybody. So I kept trying to say George Law, George Law, because that's the guy. If I could call him. Well, there's no there are no phones anywhere. And so finally, after four hours, she stands up and I think, oh, maybe it's miscommunication. She knows something I don't know. And we're going to the books. Wrong. We go and get on a subway underground and we go for a little over an hour on the subway and we come up and the buildings look exactly the same as they did back there because that's what the Soviet system does. Everything looks like those square blocks. And we had ridden for over an hour. Then we come up and I think, well, maybe we're with the books. Wrong. Then we get on the land bus and we go another 45 minutes on the land bus and every building looks exactly the same. We finally, after 45 minutes, sure enough, get off and she hugs a woman this waiting at the bus stop. Now I find out later, this is this old woman that that was their one connection later. But we hug, then we walk about a mile down to this woman's flat and then go up and, and they're just having a great time talking and doing tea and all this mess. And I'm realizing where are the books? Cause they're not in this flat. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, okay, I guess I'm gonna go, I'm gonna sleep on the floor. And then tomorrow we're gonna go back on the train without books. And, um, but a knock came on the door. It was an angel. A knock came and it was a woman, a younger woman, my age, probably at the time. And she's talking in Russian, of course, to the lady inviting her to a prayer meeting that night. And then they introduced me. And when she said that I was an American, the girl in perfect English said, oh, are you from the United States? Do you speak English? I said, oh, are you from heaven? Do you speak God's (laughs) angelic language? I just, oh my goodness. So we made a deal. She said, would you share what it's like to be a Christian in the United States after the prayer meeting? And then after the, pra- I mean, after the prayer meeting, then I will help you make contact with the telephone. And so sure enough, one in the morning, we're doing all that. I talked to the man and he says, this is very important. You need to put the other, the Russian woman on the phone. So he explained to her all the details. Then he puts me back on the phone and says, when you get to the stop, a stop on the subway and he said the name and I was writing everything down or trying to just listen he said there are going to be three humongous stairwells one straight in front of you one to the right one to the left huge he said if you do not go right if you go to either of the other you're going to come out somewhere else in the big city 
You must go right. And the, the way you'll know you've done correctly is when you finally get to the top, in a distance, you'll see the Moscow Circus tent, the top of the big tent. And that's how you're going to know that then you start letting her try to figure out where the streets are. Because again, we've got to go zigzag in and out and then go way down alleyways, count the doors. There's no signs anywhere. It's all dark. And then hope that you've gotten to the right place. So we're ready the next morning early, you know, because we got to get on the train at four o'clock that afternoon to, to do the 18 hours back. So, so I'm ready and here we go. But Precious Kacha is a lot older than me and I want to be very respectful. We do make it to, to the three big stairwells and then she tries to go left. And I keep pulling her and saying, Miss Kacha, no, we're supposed to go right. No, no, she's just, yet, yet, yet. that's no. She's so convinced we're supposed to do the other. So it was so hard for me to kind of just buck the system and just kind of pull her. And sure enough, when we finally got to the top and could see the in the distance, a white, like a little tent top, she was elated. So then she really did try to read all this. We finally got to the place. I need to hurry. So we do get there. And in the back, in a back little room, the guy says, well, you do have, do you have your bribe money? Well, of course I did have a good bit. Um, and I had it in my underwear, literally, because on the trains, Sometimes they didn't kill people, but they gas underneath the train because there's, you know, there's a, some air could get under and they do that to then um, knock people out. Sometimes they do die, but the point is to rob them. And I knew that with an American passport, you know, I'm a target. So, but, but I look very Russian and I'm dressed like them. So if I just don't talk, I'm in good shape, you know, but um, anyway, I did have money. He said, you're going to need so many more rubles because if you, we're going to pray together. We all got in a big circle. He gave me a bunch of money from an old file cabinet in the back and said, you can pay this back later somehow. But he said, you're going to need, you know, millions of rubles to get out of this country. And he said, we're going to pray because we have never gotten this many books out of this country because those Soviet little Soviet republics or former Soviet republics do not take kindly to Russian things. I mean, you know, they've been occupied by that and they do, the border guards don't want it. They usually throw it off and then they throw you off, you know, you know, all that stuff. So we did pray. And now we're trying to get the crazy books who were, I thought, where are the books? Guess what? The books are not there. <laughs> And he says, the books are going to meet you. There's going to be a van that's going to meet you at the train station. And it was horrible traffic, like Nairobi traffic there for our brother, um, Felix. Um, but but trying to get to, I could see the smokestack of the train up there. It's going to leave. And I'm thinking, we're not even going to get there. I'm saying, Jesus, I need somebody to pray. This is unbelievable. But sure enough, finally, we do get there. And the books are in just paper sacks, you know, wrapped in like brown paper bags so that they're not marked. And so... I've got 750 books that I'm going to try to get on that train because that group, remember our group of five organizations that I pray that in the future, we FAS will be a part of something like that in a lot of different parts of the world to get holiness material out there. Um, well, the deal was that they would allow you to get three years worth of your enrollment per book, you know, so that, you know, like somebody's in seminary. So your first year seminary, you'd have 52 students, or we did 52 students. So we could get five times 52. Then for the next year, that assuming you'd have about 50, that's what they were going by. So that's why there were so many books. Anyway, I'm there by myself. Poor Miss Kacha's old. She's got a bad back. And so it's going to be me hauling the stuff, which I can haul. But the problem is my time. It's four o'clock. And over in the corner, is that are these two guys smoking cigarettes with a dolly, like a like a something to push with, you know, because there's million steps, it seems. I mean, really, a few hundred steps. 
but there's a ramp. And so, of course, they, they are there to try to bri get bribes to, to haul things for people. So, of course, I gave them whatever they wanted. We finally get to the car of the train and the what she called a conductor, the, the, the woman that's responsible for that car is there. So I'm trying to take them off that cart thing. I, well, first, they wouldn't let me take it off. I had to give them more money. They had strapped it down. So give them more bribes. Anyway, then I try to take it on the, the train. The woman watched that transaction. So she pushes me back and says, yet, yet she wants, hold out her hand. She wants money too, so I can get the books on her train. So I'm even, see, I'm out of breath right now because it was unbelievable. I'm just trying to go fast. But the deal is in the end, we finally got on there. In the middle of the night, we crossed the border. And that was our big concern because we knew we could hear. And of course, I didn't understand the language, but people are drunk. They're slamming doors everywhere. The guards are going through and then they opened our door and there were so many books. We just set up the whole time that, you know, we couldn't lay down or any of that stuff on the little berths. It was filled with those brown papers. And so the guy asked us, we'd already prayed and prayed our little guts out. We were going to tell the truth. We couldn't lie, but we were praying God would let us through and close their eyes. So we're, we're, we're there. And the, the guy says, what's in the bags uh, in the paper. And we told, we just said books. And he slammed the door back. So we didn't, you know, we had to wait about another hour. We just, and you hear all the noise and we thought they're going to come and get us. You know, we, we weren't sure. But as soon as that rickety little wheels, the old brakes started squealing on that uh, train um, and we began to move just a little and we looked out, you know, and could tell that we were moving. We thought we crossed the big river. That's the border. And we realized that we've made it. And um, the next morning we get back into the town and it was just, the sun was just coming up. And instead of it just being our families or my family, you know, and hers, you, you had the, it seemed all the Christians in the entire country was at that train station because they'd never had anything in their language. And precious Georg, of course, was meeting his wife and they were just all so thrilled. And we watched grown men and women just weep to get a little stack of five books in their own um, language. And God had started himself a little seminary in the Wesleyan tradition in that part of the world. And a huge part of it is because of the precious man that just went to heaven. And um, I'm just so grateful because he not only talked about holiness, but he lived it. And he not only talked about discipleship, but he did it. He invested in and other denominations and other, other people, even in our denomination in that part of the world, have not grown but the Methodist work has grown because he was willing to have his hand open to give, as I believe we are at FAS. And that's why one of the reasons I'm just so grateful to be a part of our ministry and organization. But again, to spread that scriptural holiness, I'm sorry, that took way too long to probably tell that story. But um, but but I associate Precious Georg and what we're doing uh, as sort of the same thing. Um uh, he was actually so proud through translation. I would try to explain to him who Papa was and, and um, vice versa and uh, for Papa to understand who Georg uh, was. And um, so I put them in the similar categories of those that have gone before us that, again, the world's not worthy and won't know about them, but heaven has recorded and is recording and will continue, I believe, till Jesus comes because of that um, heritage. So I'll hush. I'm sorry. Thank you, Joy, for such a great testimony and story. It's just exciting to think that uh, God does things like this all the time, uh, orchestrating and getting his word out there and just powerful. 
Thank you, listener, for checking us out. We uh, continue to ask that you uh, share these and help us get the word out uh, by subscribing or leaving us a review. That that is also helpful. And uh, if you need more information about the Francis Asbury Society, check out our website, francisasburysociety.com. And we're getting really close to Christmas, and there's still a couple weeks uh, left to uh, place your order on the bookstore and get someone a real meaningful gift this year. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you.